0: Good morning, family. It's wonderful to take that attitude of celebration and worship into our time this morning as we study the Word together. Well, uh, for those who I don't have the privilege of knowing, my name's Andy, and I'm one of the leaders here at CBC, and can I add a very warm welcome to Chris to you this morning? Uh, I'd like us to uh, turn in our Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 5, or switch on the phone uh, and switch on your app if that's you. We're going to be jumping in at verse 6 shortly, but just as um, a recap, I'm going to remind us of something of the context. You may remember we're in a sermon series at the moment that we've called Grace, Essential Gift for Imperfect Disciples, and I'm very grateful for that because I am an imperfect disciple and maybe you are too. We've seen over the last couple of weeks how grace and freedom have become this pivotal issue in the early church. You'll remember how this came to a head with the issue of circumcision. So Gentiles, who were converts from the outside of the Jewish nation, they had been uh, told that effectively they had to become Jews in order to follow the Jewish Messiah. And Paul firmly rebuts this. He says... Repeatedly, doesn't he, in chapters one to four, Christ came to set us free from the law and its punishment, which is why the song fits so well. Kay beautifully described how that is a freedom from legalism. Do you know what that is? This kind of theology that says it's by keeping to the rules that you will earn God's favor. Utterly wrong, because we can't do it, can we? I certainly can't. And Paul says that this is contrary to the very gospel message. He says it's a false gospel. These teachers were adding to what Christ has done. They were effectively undoing God's grace. This fabulous free gift that he gives us because we are imperfect disciples. We can't do it all ourselves, which is why Jesus has done it all already. Okay, so let's pick up our text Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So Paul finishes this argument that Chris and Kay took us through previously. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or whether you're uncircumcised, whether you're a Jew, whether you're an ordinary Gentile. The only thing that matters is what being circumcised stands for, faith. Faith in God's promise of salvation that was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, his grace gift to us, freedom and forgiveness from sin. He uses this phrase, didn't you notice, throughout the letters, in Christ Jesus. And that is the only thing that matters. Are you in Christ or aren't you? Do you believe he's the son of God or not? Have you accepted his gift, his grace, his free gift of forgiveness and been set free from the bondage of sin? Or are you still under it? Because that's what in Christ means. And the only thing that matters is faith. Faith that Jesus is God. Faith that he died in place of you and of me. That he rose again on the third day and is now exalted in heaven. And he has forgiven your sins as he has mine. That is the only gospel that is true. And we can stand on that today. I want to pause there just for a moment and ask us a genuine question. Have you accepted God's free gift of grace this morning? Or are you sitting on the fence, not knowing whether you're in Christ or somehow apart from him? Do you have the faith to believe that Jesus can forgive your sin and is just waiting for you to say yes? Are you ready to say, yes, I am an imperfect disciple, so I'm going to take all the grace I can get, thank you. All it takes is a yes. You can do that today. There'll be a time towards the end of this service to respond if you want to say yes to Jesus this morning. These Gentiles had accepted Christ, but something was getting in the way of their newfound faith. These people were converts that Paul had brought to the Lord through his preaching and missionary journeys. We read that in Acts and understandably, doesn't he? he feels rather protective of them. You can tell that through the text. Do you get a sense there of his righteous anger? Wow, I wouldn't want to be the object of that. He says, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Well, Two weeks ago, Chris invite, invited us to Google the word "circumcision" if we weren 't aware what it meant. I might suggest you do the same thing for emasculate it 's the kind of thing we do to male dogs before they go into adulthood now When I was in my teens, there used to be a popular dance track called I'm Free by a band called the Soup Dragons. Anyone who who may happen to be roughly the same age as we might remember that. Or maybe uh, uh, you remember it from the Rolling Stones, uh, because it was one of their album tracks originally in the 1960s. And the lyrics seem to sum up the prevailing culture that has uh, pervaded from that time. They say, I'm free to do what I want any old time. I'm free to be who I choose any old time. And the world's idea of freedom doesn't seem to carry with it much sense of responsibility sometimes, does it? We often hear it summed up in that simple phrase, if it feels good, do it. Who am I hurting? Well, the temptation is great for any new Christian to be influenced and shaped by the prevailing culture. And that can mean it's incredibly easy to adopt a wrong thinking about sin and grace. You see, the easy conclusion for the Christian to, to draw, knowing that God's grace sets them free from sin, is to treat that grace like a license to sin. We all know what that means, don't we? We know there's some people that go around doing whatever they like, knowing it's all OK, because they can use grace like one of these. You know what this is? Get out of jail-free card. They know that if they just wave their card and confess their sin, God, who's already forgiven them all their sin they will ever commit, will just forgive them again. He'll wipe the slate clean. Now, I'm quite well known in this church for being a bit controversial, so I'm going to possibly do that again now. is it possible to live life like that as a Christian? Yes, it is, because, and I will tell you, I've uh, I've done so. So I can be honest. I was that person who will do what they like and wave this card to God afterwards. I am the very definition of an imperfect disciple. But let me also tell you, it's a pretty ugly way of living. It doesn't honor God and he doesn't let you get away with it. Okay, I came to Christ when I was 16 years old. And the following 10 years are a rollercoaster ride in most people's lives and mine was without exception as an aside pray for our young people would you please this is a time when you're just beginning to discover what life is all about who you are in yourself what you stand for and yes where you compromise pray in particular for those at university or those maybe moving into their first home on their own we've got nathan and hannah's son ethan who's at uni in uh, Stirling in scotland Stuart and Sue's daughter, Jess, at Swansea. Jasmine and James's son, Sanasar, at Winchester. And hopefully uh, Ben will follow suit next year. For these people, this is their first time that they're deciding for themselves just how to live every day for Jesus without anybody checking up on them or telling them what to do. So for me, 30 years ago, I jumped into student life with both feet. I was an enthusiastic Christian. I joined the Christian Union. I tried to evangelize as many people as possible in my hall of residence. Yet, at the same time, I developed a love for drinking and for clubbing till the small hours. Sometimes turning up for lectures, even turning up for church the next morning with a hangover that I might try to hide. Looking back then, it's obvious to see how I was being a hypocrite. Even back then, I knew I was living a kind of double life. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that drinking alcohol and going to nightclubs is a sin. But I took a long time to learn how to do it in moderation. And I don't think I was honoring God all of the time. Was I still saved? Yes, I firmly believe so. When you accept Jesus into your life, God doesn't welcome you with conditions. I firmly believed that Jesus was the Son of God and he saved me from my sin. Was I following Jesus? Partly. Was I a good Christian? Define good. Jesus once said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Some better questions might be, why, when I'd acknowledged Jesus as Lord, did I not always treat him as Lord in my life? When I asked for forgiveness afterwards, did I secretly not mean it, knowing that I was very likely to go and do the same thing all over again before too long? How often do we, how often do I still fall into that same trap? Are there any habitual sins that we might know we're committing even now, maybe even years after giving our lives to Christ that we just don't seem to be able to fully give over to him. I just want to level with you guys. God's forgiveness is real. He is always patient with us. And when we turn to him in confession, he will welcome us. Don't despair. The root cause of my hypocrisy was a poor understanding of a technical term we use in Christianity called repentance or more likely an unwillingness to put that into practice. Okay, so what is this repentance? Well, it's as if we go one way in our sin. We know God's over there. We stop and we turn around. We make the decision in our mind to go back to him. It's saying to him, I know I love doing this thing, but I also love you. And because I believe you know best, I'm going to choose to love you more. It's an act of the will, because I know this upsets you, and I'm sorry. I knew that I was doing wrong on a regular basis, and the, the tragedy of it was that it was seriously affecting my relationship with God. Unable to feel God's forgiveness, even though I knew it was true, I felt wretched, incredibly guilty. I wonder if any of us have been there. What Chris likes to describe as wonky theology can affect us if we allow ourselves to get into negative habits of sin. I was allowing myself to become a slave again to sin. Even though Christ had set me free on that, it was obviously separating me from God. Because I knew my repentance was hollow, I couldn't enjoy his presence. I couldn't live freely in that grace in which God had declared me free. You see, I was also feeling guilty because of legalism. This, uh, this is when, as Chris put it, the rules mean more to you than the relationship. The truth is, God is always willing to accept us. I thought I was unacceptable to him because I kept on breaking the rules, but he was just willing to accept me back like the prodigal son he so dearly loves If only I'd had a proper understanding of this book of Galatians. You see, Paul warns in verse 13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Yes, people had used that to me to try and correct me, but I wasn't listening. He goes into detail, reasons why, throughout this book, and also in his subsequent letter to the Romans. Firstly, abusing grace as a license to sin, that betrays a proper understanding of what happens when a person becomes a Christian. And this is why I'm so grateful, actually, that uh, God inspired Chris to give us as our banner verse for this series, Galatians 2 and verse 20. You remember what it says? My old self has been crucified with Christ. I could stop there, actually. We've died to sin our old self has gone. Don't keep living in the ways of the past. Paul later expands this theme in his letter to the Romans, writing in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Yet so often we do. We've died to our old way of living. If we still carry on as if nothing has happened, have we really put that old self to death? Have we really repented of our old ways and acknowledged that they're not God's ways and changed our minds? Secondly, the verse from Galatians 2 carries on. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. When we become a Christian, we choose to have a new boss, in charge of our lives, a new king on the throne, a new driver at the steering wheel, pick whichever metaphor you like. Bottom line is, and this is where it gets mind-blowing, the Son of God chooses to make his dwelling in us and lives through us if we choose to let him. Thirdly, what license does is it cheapens God's gift of grace. We know, don't we, that it costs Jesus everything to pay the price for our sin. I wonder if there's some kind of way in, in our minds that if we treat sin as if it doesn't matter, maybe we're suggesting Christ's death wasn't that bad. I think as we come towards Easter, every Christian needs to understand the real depth of what it cost Jesus to pay for your sin and mine. And we can't treat the law as if it no longer matters. This is going to get a bit technical here, so bear with me. I said earlier that in Christ, we've been set free from the law. That's true. We've been set free from its punishment, its penalty, its restrictions. As new covenant Christians, we're no longer judged by it. Because if we were, it would be as if we had to keep the whole law. And we know that no person can do that. It wasn't sufficient in the first place. That's why Jesus had to come. But that doesn't mean that the law is worthless. Paul puts a question again in Romans. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I wouldn't have known what sin was except through the law. God uses that to sear our conscience, to teach us right from wrong. In Romans 6, Paul develops this idea of us choosing to make ourselves slaves to righteousness we've been talking a lot over the past month about slavery how we are a slave we were a slave to sin under the law god says we could choose to make ourselves slaves to him we are we may be free from the penalty of sin but we are free to choose righteousness instead it's not as if god takes away our free will quite the opposite But we know that if we choose to dedicate ourselves to God and obey his ways, we will receive the benefits they by their very nature bring, holiness and eternal life. So I live in this earthly body, verse 20 of Galatians 2 carries on, I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do we agree that's probably the only way to live the Christian life? Sometimes my journey is a bit wobbly. I I am an imperfect disciple, but I trust in the Lord, the one who makes my path straight. Ultimately, you can't go waving around one of these. You can't fool God because he knows full well the difference between the one who acknowledges Jesus as Lord but can't help sinning and the one who just doesn't want to change their ways. In a sense, who's playing the system? They think they can carry on as if nothing has changed from their old lives to the new, play their get-out-of-jail-free card every time they deliberately and willfully sin and think that God won't judge them for it. The truth is, God will even judge Christians. Did you know that? I don't have time to unpack Romans 14. That's for another sermon. But the text makes it clear God is a holy God and even our sin will be judged. Yes, they'll be revealed as forgiven sins because Jesus has wiped the slate clean, but it still upsets God even so. And even when I was in my sin, God continued to see me righteous, but he knew sin was spoiling my life. And that's what breaks his heart. It was ruining my relationship with him, which is why God tells us to keep short accounts with him, yeah, uh, confess regularly, receive forgiveness regularly. It's not about your standing with Him, it's about your relationship with Him. I knew that when I was avoiding God, I, I wasn't doing an awful lot of praying or spending time with Him when I was feeling so guilty and ashamed. How about us? Are we living in the fullness of the Spirit's power? It's there. It's waiting for us. Our status is secure. But sometimes we just need to receive it and grow in it. Perhaps if you're anything like me, you know that you have that somewhat, but we need to go deeper. There is an alternative to using grace as a license to sin. Paul says in verse 13, by contrast, rather serve one another humbly in love. We're not under the law, we're under grace. But if we want to please God, we can choose to live according to his will. God, in the book of Deuteronomy said, and Paul echoes this in verse 14, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that suggests a kind of contrast that we in our minds can choose to adopt. Paul suggests the focus should not be upon ourselves ourselves, but upon others. Using our freedom not to indulge in sin, but in humility to choose to focus on other people, to express our faith in love. So it seems in the Galatian churches, like with any church, there are problems with relationships between believers. Why else would Paul have to tell his readers to stop biting and devouring one another? Colourful language. Again, I would never suggest that anyone at CBC is like that. But these things come from a heart that is focused on oneself rather than others. If our hearts are not motivated by love, we can be in danger, as I am sometimes, of being critical of other people. We might pull them down or spread gossip about them in order to make ourselves look better. With a focus on serving one another in love, we will build each other up. Encouraging them to be everything God has planned for them to be, serving one another with spiritual gifts, which will do the church good, as well as glorifying God, our ultimate object. Do you remember about uh, 20 years ago, it used to be fashionable for young people to wear this kind of bracelet with four letters written on it? Do anyone remember who they are? WWJD, yeah? What would Jesus do? It's not a perfect idea because it kind of suggests that Jesus is remote rather than living within us, but it's a good reminder to choose to put his will first. Lawrence, who will be opening up uh, the uh, the text to us next week and those who will follow in the weeks to come, will show from the the rest of chapters 5 and 6 what it means to live by the Spirit. But I wonder if I might be able to sum it up just as this, put God first and let his love flow through you. I wonder if that's a message we can take into our church, into our homes this week, our workplaces, or wherever we might go. Can I pray for us? Father, we confess we are imperfect disciples. Mostly we follow you, but sometimes that journey is a bit wobbly. Sometimes we even have a great big deviation away from you. Forgive us for those times. And forgive us for the times that we're ever maybe thim- tempted to think we can do what we like and just wave our get out of jail free card in front of you as if somehow you won't mind. We've died to sin. Help us never to pick up that dead body again. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit renew our minds rather than choosing to indulge the sinful nature we declare to you this morning that we will choose your way of love in humility may we choose to serve one another as our whole lives are a worship to you amen